Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. We all know bees are an essential part of the ecosystem, and we probably all know enough to be vaguely concerned about their welfare. But what can we do to help the bees? Well, my guest today has some ideas for that. Nicole Miller-Strutman is a biology professor at Webster University, and in conjunction with a colleague at St. Louis University, she's launching a product powered by citizen scientists and their cameras. She calls it Shutterbee, and the goal is to train you, yes you, to become a better backyard naturalist, tracking the bees in your very own yard. And if that sounds appealing to you, well, she is with us now to talk about it. Nicole Miller-Strutman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So what are you hoping to learn through this Shutterbee project? We have a few key things that we're trying to to figure out. Um, One, what is the bee diversity like in the city going from the suburban environment into the urban environment? And um, if we have enough interest, even potentially in rural environments as well, so that we can get a sense for where the bee diversity is and what people are doing at those given locations to support higher uh, bee diversity. And then another facet of it is to understand the behavior of the bees and whether or not they're foraging on different plants um, or if they're foraging differently. And what I mean by that is, are they visiting more flowers or fewer flowers? Do they need to sort of branch out in order to get the resources that they need? Um, Those are really our two main questions. And then of course, it's also about creating dialogue between people who are on the ground working in their backyards um, to the scientists who are doing conservation research. So it sounds great, and yet when I think about trying to answer those questions in my own backyard, it seems overwhelming. You kind of see a bee (laughs) flit by, and and you don't think about where it's going or what plants it's around. How are you going to have these citizen naturalists figure out how to actually make a valuable contribution here? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the big things about these kinds of questions is having lots of locations and having lots of variation. So everybody's backyard, we name, just by understanding what's in your individual backyard doesn't tell us what's happening on the grand scale. But when we have lots of people who are involved, then we can get some really meaningful information. And um, what we're asking folks to do is go through some trainings with us, learn a little bit more about bee photography and the, and the bees in their backyard and then conduct bi-weekly surveys where they go out and they walk the same transects every week in their yard and take pictures of bees. And when you say bee photography, I mean, are you talking mm-hmm. about we need a fancy camera to do this? No, absolutely not. You can take great photos. And by great photos, I don't mean the most glorious picture of, you know, <laughs> some with a magnificent macro lens that's going to be, you know, put on my wall at home or something. Um, What I mean is something that is identifiable so that we can get the bee at the right angle in order to tell um, what group it is in. And we have some tricks of the trade to help people with that because bees are flying all the time. So it's kind of hard to get them. They're not just sitting there waiting to be photographed. No, if only, if only, right? Um, No, but you know, they're the great thing about, um, or one of the great things about having technology at our fingertips is that it's really come a long way and you can do cool things like on iPhones, you can use the live function and Hmm. that was really helpful. It essentially takes a short video or you can do burst functions where you take a bunch of different um, pictures at once. And usually, 
only one of them is at the right sort of angle or in focus more than others. And that can be the one that you choose to submit. So when you're talking about this training you're going to do, it's going to be focused on tips like that. Yes, exactly. Okay. So tips like is, that. This mm-hmm. is somewhat basic stuff by design. Oh, yeah. No, it's meant to be something that absolutely anybody can do with a little bit of practice. And, um, you know, that's that's the joy of it. That's the fun. People are the experts of what's going on in their backyard. They're the ones hanging out there all the time. Um, and this is a way for us to have that conversation. And if you're listening to this conversation, we want to invite you to join us. If you have a question about bee diversity or bee behavior you've observed around home, we have a bee expert right here on the phone with us. You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Nicole, I know some of our listeners might be in apartment type situations or have those tiny little city postage stamps uh, size lots. If someone doesn't have the luxury of a backyard of their own, can they still help with this? Yes, absolutely. Um, If you are interested in being involved, we can work with you to find a local either park or community garden or um, probably individual uh, balconies are a little bit too small, but Mm. um, we can certainly try to work with you to find other locations that are close by accessible for you to track bees there. And that would be fantastic because that would um, help us understand not only what's going on in people's yards, but the broader insect community. So ideally, you're going to get a whole ton of data from this. What happens to it after you get all these kind of badly framed bee photos <laughs> that we're going to be taking for you? All kinds of things. Well, so for one thing, they, they first get um, uploaded. So the participants will upload the, the photographs to iNaturalist, which is this amazing um, app that um, you can use just for the heck of it, even if just for fun, even if you're not on um, a program like ours, uh, you can get learn about Um, beetles in your backyard. Take Hmm. a picture, upload it, see what it is identified as, and experts are on there all the time identifying all kinds of things. So what we'll do then with those photos is we help to identify them, and then we help to identify what plants they're on. Now, a lot of our um, participants might know the plants in their backyard really well, so we're actually asking people to, if they know the plant, put the plant name in there, and that's where we're getting that visitation information. Then what we can do is we have all of this information embedded in those photographs. So we have the bee species, we have the plant species, we have the location, and we have the date Hmm. that it was collected. Those are all super meaningful pieces of information. And then what we do is we download that whole data set and we start to tease apart, okay, what do we know about these people's um, backyards? How many plant species do they have? What is what are they surrounded by? Do they have are there a lot of concrete in the area or hmm. do they have forests nearby? And we can tell all of that from remote sense data or most of that from remote sense data. Wow. Yeah. And so the idea here, I understand this isn't just, you know, one professor's passion project. You're working with St. Louis University. I guess the St. Louis yep. Zoo is even a part yep. of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we've been. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I, I was just going to ask, what do, you, what do you hope will come out of all this information you're going to gather, what you're going to learn about what plants they like and how they feel about concrete? Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, generally speaking, they don't love concrete. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll throw that out there um, to anthropomorphize our little bees. But, um, you know, one of the main things we want to gain, I gave you the really detailed sort of three-point These are the specific things that we're really wanting to learn. But overall, what we want to do is understand what helps support these things. What helps, what can we do in our backyards to actively support bees? 
Um, and then we can give a lot more detailed recommendations to folks about like, okay, you need to have this kind of diversity of plants mm-hmm. in your yard. Or if you're in an area where you um, are surrounded by a lot of woodland, maybe you don't need to worry about having um, as much nesting area, but you really need to make sure you have a lot of flower density. Because nesting, it's, it's increasingly clear that nesting is really important. So going back to this idea about concrete, mm-hmm. um, in urban environments, we actually have pretty decent diversity, especially in St. Louis, um, for bees. But we tend to have fewer uh, ground nesting bees. So those are some of the uh, additional pieces of information that we can get. Okay. So overall, um, for those of us who don't pay that much attention to science, it seems like there's this vague sense that the bees are all in terrible trouble and they may be going extinct immediately. And this is something we should worry about, but we don't know quite why. I understand you've kind of taken the position that a lot of that is hyperbole, yet there's some real concerns here. What is the outlook for bees? Yeah, we have reason to be concerned. We absolutely have reason to be concerned. Um, whether or not all insects are going to go extinct, that, that's unlikely, but that's not the point. The point is that we're seeing declines that are scary, and they're, they're scary for um, farmers, they're scary for biologists, ecologists, conservation biologists, and these that's because these species, they perform what we call ecosystem services, and pollination is just one type that bees um, contribute to, but there's also things like aerating the soil and decomposition. I mean, these organisms are really important. And so I just, I like to be a little bit careful about having too much fear mongering while at the same time saying, you know, these are really important, then we should be thinking and doing things about it. So with, you know, these concerns about the overall bee population, I'm sure that books have been written on this, but, but what are some of the short reasons that they are in such trouble? So one of the things that we have learned over the last couple decades is that there isn't really a simple one um, target issue when there's no there's no silver bullet as they say hmm. um, or smoking gun I don't know <laughs> one of those <laughs> um, but it's it's a combination of things so lack of floral resources is definitely a big one so not having flowers throughout the entire year um, because different species are active at different times of the year some hmm. pe- some species are active all year. Um, so that's a big one. Nesting sites is um, we're, we're finding more having more and more support for that. That nesting sites are are lacking for a lot of species, particularly in in, in urban environments, particularly for ground nesting. Um, chemicals, pesticides are mm. um, pretty nasty. You know, we don't have a specific chemical that just targets your pest insects. They they influence all of them. And once it's in the system, it goes from one trophic level to another trophic level. So then it ends up influencing birds as well um, and other species that rely on insects. Um, diseases are also increasingly important. Um, this is something that is, depending on where you are, more or less important, but we have certainly pathogens that are influencing for bumblebees. We think pathogens are an important aspect of declines, um, for example. So, so a you know, whole toxic no, mess there. <laughs> yeah, a whole toxic mess. And that's where, that's where understanding how we can take 
um, targeted approaches, but also general approaches of just beefing up the the total abundances so that they can handle these stressors. Because the bigger the populations are, the more they can weather these challenges. We're talking to Nicole Miller-Strutman. She's a biology professor at Webster University, a bee expert, and one of the professors who's launching the Shutter Bee Project here in St. Louis. Uh, Nicole, I've got to ask, and I know you earlier used the term fear-mongering, and I'm, I'm afraid <laughs> I'm about to really indulge in it, but I keep hearing about these murder hornets. Should yeah. we be freaking out about the murder hornets? No. Thank um, you. That's the answer I was hoping. But why not? I mean, they sound terrible. Right. Well, they they sound scary because of the way that they're made out, right? But predators, any kind of predator can be made to be scary. But they are um, hornets in general. Not, I mean, the Asian hornet is one that is not native. Um, and that one poses some potential um, to be a pest, particularly in agricultural settings. So there is reason to be concerned if you live in areas where um, a couple colonies have been found. They've all been eradicated. And this is all in either Washington State or um, in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, they have only been found a couple places, and they don't generally, just like most wasps and bees, they do not attack people, which is what the murder hornet sort of yeah. implies. Um, and they, they get the name because they do feed their, um, they will kill adult uh, bees by decapitating them and then feeding them to their young. Which sounds gruesome, yes. but that's also <laughs> that's also just part of their biology. They they are predators. They eat other organisms. Um, so we don't have them here in the Midwest. They haven't been found here at all. Any hornet or um, hornet-looking thing is going to be something that has been here for a long period of time and, and isn't a threat to you or to anybody else. So it's best just to let them be. Okay, I feel much better knowing that. So thank you. I'm going to go back to fearing the coronavirus and not the murder <laughs> hornets. Um, I do want to go to the phone lines. We have a, a couple callers and, and hopefully we can get to um, a few of them. We'll see. Uh, Louise is calling from St. Louis with a question for you. Um, Louise, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Thank you. My question is, I would really like to have a beehive in my backyard to support the bee population in the city. How do I do that? That's a great question. Um, Nicole, if somebody doesn't have a beehive and they want one, what would be the first step? Well, there's two prongs to that question. And um, I hate to, to burst bubbles because people are so enthusiastic, but getting beehives does not help mm. um, bees. Beehives, honeybees, are kind of like chickens. Um, they're bred for a very particular purpose. And if you want to have honey in, and you want to, you know, have that in your yard or, you know, ob observe these bees in your yard and take care of them, you can absolutely do that. And that's something that has a unique purpose. But if you're doing it to help the bees, having honey beehives is actually not helpful. Um, mm. And they can compete with wild bees. And I get this question a lot. And I, there's so much enthusiasm and so much care um, that I always want to stress that this is, you know, I know that everybody's heart's in the right place, but it's just, it's a misconception about what honeybee role honeybees really play in our natural environment. Boy, that is great to know. I had no idea. Um, and Louise, I hope that's helpful as, as you're figuring out um, how to help with this problem. Thank you for that good intention. Um, Don is calling from Baldwin. Uh, hi, Don. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hello. Um, I had a comment and a question concerning honeysuckle and clover. And I'll make a statement in that 50 years ago when the house was put here in subdivision in West uh, County, St. Louis, honeysuckle was fairly pervasive. And 
I noticed 10 years ago that the honeysuckle always came out and smelled very sweet. Fast forward until now, the honeysuckle has no smell at all, and there are no bees that hang around it at all, which mm. makes me wonder. Secondly, more people have decided they like to spend for commercial fertilizing, so they're fertilizing their lawns, which is killing the clover off. So I never see any bees hardly at all in the clover. These have been changes that seem scary to me, and I was wondering what you all might say in regard to that. Uh, thank you for that, Don. Nicole, any thoughts on either of those points? Yeah, those are great observations. So I'll take the I'll take them in reverse order. The clovers, clovers are really um, they're actually really great for the they're not native. They are um, um, Eurasian and um, primarily the cultivars that we have are from Europe, and um, but they're not invasive and they can actually provide they produce nitrogen and they release it into the soil they fix it um, and release it into the soil so they're actually pretty decent for the soil and they are good for bees bees love them um, so the focus on having these lawn style grasses um, has reduced some of these other floral resources whether or not they're native um, for native bees so that's uh, an important observation that he made and that's really interesting the honeysuckle, you know, I am not as familiar of, with recent evolution in honeysuckle and whether or not it is getting less sweet or producing less nectar. Hmm. Um, it might just be variation in individuals. These things live for a long period of time. Um, so over the past 10 years, um, those individuals have aged, but you probably haven't seen any major turnovers in evolution, although you'd really have to talk to um, a Linicera specialist. So Linicera is the genus that that species comes from. Um, but that is really interesting because you're right, those that kind of smell and um, attractants are what would bring a pollinator to them. Okay. And we have um, just so many people wanting to join this conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time on this today. And it just it makes me happy to know so many people care about the bees. We did have a question that came in over email. And Nicole, this would be great for you to address. Um, Ellen asks, regarding the training for citizen bee scientists, will the training be done remotely due to the social distancing restrictions? Yes, absolutely. It will be done remotely. We were hoping at some point to do site visits, but we um, were strictly sticking to remote for now. So everything will be done virtually. Um, we'll have two trainings that are um, sort of meeting style trainings, and then we'll have several follow-up um, you know, email correspondence about how things are going in people's yards. Okay, and we're going to get all that information on our website for people who want to join in. That's stlpublicradio.org. You can find out how to participate in the Shutter Bee Project and channel all your love of and wanting to help the bees um, into this very useful project. So, Nicole Miller-Strutman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And Nicole, again, is a biology professor at Webster University. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.